is Christmas Sunday. Won't you stand as we take some time to worship our Lord?
Well, you don't have to be around very long, celebrate a Christmas or two or three before you kind of start to put it all together, connect the dots, follow the clues, and you realize at a certain age that there is no such thing as Christmas without the miracles, right? The whole Christianity thing is uh, incredibly implausible, right? It begins with a virgin birth, and at the end is the resurrection from the dead. And if you have, you know, like a, an eighth grade education, you start to think about these things and wonder, hmm, nothing else in the world works that way. Yet you expect me to believe these things that are literally inconceivable. How is that? That rational minds like ours bend and bow before these stories that are so implausible. I mean... The virgin birth? And it's Matthew in the New Testament 
one of the four gospel writers that makes much of the paternity of Jesus. And in making his case for Jesus' unusual paternity, he goes back into the Older Testament and brings us this quotation. Isaiah 7 and 14, the virgin will be with child, give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. And Matthew says, you know, Emmanuel, it means God with us. So, there might be something to taking a look into that passage in Isaiah, because if you have Jewish friends, you're aware that you can't just take that Isaiah 7.14 at face value. Because it comes in an original context, right? Wrapped in swaddling clothes of what was actually going on 700 years before the beautiful, picturesque nativity of Jesus. So if you're curious like I was, I invite you to... uh, Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 7. And let's take a look at the historical context that gave rise to this quotation that Matthew uses as evidence of Jesus' virgin birth. Let's pray as we go. God, that you would just give us a a real spirit of wonder and curiosity and openness and humility before these ancient texts that our minds wouldn't already be made up. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz, a guy by the name of Ahaz, is king of uh, Judea, Judah. And uh, at this time in history, Israel is divided. There's been a civil war of sorts. And you have those in the north who are by and large, you know, godless. And then you have those in the south who are just mostly godless. I mean, it it was a tough time in the neighborhood when Ahaz was king. And he was king of the of the southern tribes. And it was, a, it was a time of great instability. There was, there was lots of stuff happening. There was in the background the rise of the Assyrian Empire. And Assyria wasn't a, a real benevolent empire. They were pretty nasty. And their ways and their means were cruel. And so rightly, people feared them. And as this superpower grew, people became more and more frightened of the Assyrian threat. And, and, and to keep in mind, Israel, in the midst of this, is a, a tiny little sliver about the size of New Jersey, surrounded by the Assyrian Empire on the north and, and others all around. Israel had no political clout and certainly no military might. And so Ahaz was king, 
And all of this was going on, it says in verse 2 of Isaiah 7, When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now this doesn't have anything to do with Assyria. This has to do with Israel's northern neighbors, Ephraim, which were the northern ten tribes of Israel. They had struck a deal with this other country, and they formed an alliance, and together we're going to march against the southern empire of Judah, of which Ahaz was king. And so his heart shook, right, in response. So verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz. Verse 4, And say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. So to this uh, frightened king, the prophet comes and says, just chill, man. God's got this. Isn't that kind of how prophets are? They always tell us things that don't make sense. And so uh, in verse 9, the second half says, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. And y'all are probably thinking, what exactly does all this have to do with the virgin birth? Stay with me. If you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. That's Isaiah's message to King Ahaz. Verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep in Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that's funny. It's, it's actually comical. Because the record of the Older Testament tells us what was going on at this time. If you'd like, you can turn back or you can just take my word for it. In 2 Chronicles 28, 16, it says, At that time King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. So the northern tribes are aligned with another superpower, against Judah in the south. And King Ahaz is uh, offered by the prophet Isaiah to trust that God has this taken care of. But it says instead that Ahaz was doing this political maneuvering, reaching out to the superpower, Assyria in the north. And like, hey, can you help me out with these guys here? And, and when Isaiah comes to him and says, ask the Lord for a sign in heaven or hell, high, wide, deep, anything, ask it. And Ahaz says, oh, I, I couldn't possibly put the Lord to the test. Because 
Behind the scenes, he's doing this political maneuvering, reaching out to the king of Assyria to help him in his time of distress, reaching out to the feared enemy. In other words, offering himself and all of God's kingdom as indentured servants to the evil superpower in the north. That's the kind of guy that Ahaz was. Then Isaiah said, verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. The historical context of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, this business about the virgin birth, has an immediate fulfillment in the time of King Ahaz. The maiden, you see the Hebrew word that gets translated variously, virgin, young woman, maiden, this person will bear a child. And by the time the child is old enough to choose right or wrong, what age would you put on that? Like two and a half? Four? Within the matter of a few years, the king of Assyria is going to mop all of you up. And it's all going to be over, lights out. Because instead of trusting in me, as I offered you through the prophet Isaiah... You're working behind the scenes. You're trying to work the angles. You're trying to manipulate and control life and live it on your own terms rather than trusting in me. So that puts us as New Testament Christian believers in kind of an awkward position. We've got now two virgin births. One in the time of Ahaz and one 700 years later in the time of Jesus. Or else we have a misappropriation or a mistranslation of the Hebrew syntax and we have no virgin birth at all. Because there's certainly nothing all that special about this kid in the time of Ahaz. We don't even know his name. And we never hear about him again, certainly not very Messiah-like. So why does Matthew take this verse out of its Older Testament context and bring it forward 750 years as evidence of the fact that Jesus had no daddy? Matthew chapter 1 Verse 18 says, The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place.
place this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose, to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. On the authority of the New Testament, we understand that the paternity of Jesus was miraculous. And if we didn't have this quotation of Isaiah 7:14 at all, we would still have the historical record of Matthew. Matthew uses that as evidence of this. Matthew really is playing fast and loose with the text. It's a midrashic interpretation, kind of, kind of mystical, kind of figurative, kind of like, oh, this, yeah, it's sort of like that. It's taking a text from the Old Testament and setting it alongside the events of the New Testament in the spirit of interpretation. So, you can call me a heretic, but we don't need a virgin birth. That might ruffle your feathers because of the fundamentalist controversy that made such an ordeal out of the virgin birth and made it a litmus test for Christians. If you're not willing to believe this, you're outside the circle. And it might be the virgin birth or it might be the resurrection of Jesus or it might be any number of things. Isn't it enough to say that Jesus came to us in an unusual way? I mean, do you need to, uh, do you need to, like, submit it to 23andMe in order to have scientific evidence of where this guy came from? Or is it enough, and are we content and humble enough and willing and open enough to say, you know what, there's room for a little bit of mystery here. And it's okay to say, I don't know. You see, the hubris that came out of the Enlightenment tells us that you have to be able to explain everything. And if you can't wrap your mind around it, then it's not real. And you see what happens when we behave like that? We make ourselves arbiters of the truth. If I can't figure it out, it's not real. 
Do you know what that says? That says, look how freaking smart I am. I'm up here. And if I can't get my mind around it, it's not real. But guess what? There's minds a lot heavy dutier than mine that haven't figured it out. And the moral of the story is, it doesn't need to be figured out. There's got to be mystery. That's the beauty of Christmas. So we can look at one text or... We can look at another text, and we can put this one alongside that one, and we can argue, and we can demonstrate, and we can convince until we're blue in the face. Does that make people believers? Is that effective at all? How has that served Christianity? It hasn't, has it? What has served Christianity? One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Not that I've figured it out. <laughs> How to make bread? How does bread rise? I don't know. I buy it off the shelf. Who cares? I'm hungry and it's there. God feeds me. God satisfies my hunger and my longing for fulfillment in a way that secular, scientific evidence never has. I'm going to leave the rest of that stuff to C.S. Lewis. All right? I'm going to leave the philosophy with the philosophers. And I'm going to say, guess what, man? I found... Something that works. And yeah, I can't explain it all. How does someone get born without a daddy? I don't know. Kids, go home and ask your parents. <laughs> how does someone get born without a daddy? How, how does someone three days dead become alive? How does, here's, here's a good one, how does someone I never in my wildest dreams thought could change, how does that person change? <laughs> There's a miracle. That a scoundrel like me going that way is all of a sudden going this way. God bless the mysteries. I don't know. It's enshrouded in fog. And you just kind of have to go with it. Leave the fighting for the fighters. And just figure out what works. God, we're not as smart as we thought we were. And so we confess to you our pride and arrogance, the way we jockey for position and
try to demonstrate that we're right and others are wrong. And God, we know there's different ways of looking at things in the Scripture. Sometimes it makes a world of sense to us. Sometimes we're confused. Sometimes it's just what we need and it energizes us. And sometimes we fall asleep reading it. But we believe that you speak through ancient texts and you teach us. And we believe in a story that's really out there. And we believe it because we've seen it and we've experienced it and are experiencing it. Our prayer is that you would make us a little bit more like Jesus. That we would be people who are compassionate and wise and understanding and countercultural. People that don't conform to the expectations of others, religious or otherwise. People that are renegades, people who just believe what the Spirit teaches them and, and who are faithful to you and who find new and different ways of communicating really old messages. Thank you for the gift of Christmas, which is the birth of Jesus, and we acknowledge Jesus, your coming into the world once upon a time, and we're grateful for it. And uh, we hope increasingly to be changed by it and to be your kind of people. Amen.
celebrate our Savior this morning.
Christmas is uh, almost here. And I wish you hope and joy and happiness that you get to be with the ones that you love. Maybe they don't live nearby you know that you're connected, right? Heart to heart. 
I hope you have time to ponder the mystery, the beauty of Christ incarnate, and above all to know that you, you are loved, you are so deeply loved that your life has such value God said through the prophet Jeremiah, you are loved with an everlasting love. That's pretty good. If I had a wish that I could wish for you, it would be that. That message sinks in. And you know beyond knowing and beyond any explanation how much you're loved, how deeply you're loved. So God, through the prophet Aaron, declares to you this day, I love you. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.